0: This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is July 12th, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio.
1: Hi, my name is Marshall Household, and I was at WRHU from the fall of 1987 through May of 1991, which makes me very, very old.
0: Uh, What shows did you work on at the station?
1: I was a member of the sports department. We affectionately called ourselves the Sports Machine back in the day I called football and basketball games uh, performed pre-game halftime and postgame duties as far as uh, the non sports programs I engineered a semester's worth of Irish country shows for Tony Jackson mm-hmm. and was unsuccessful in getting him to play the song Jack row by the Grateful Dead even though I was pretty <laughs> even though I was pretty sure it was derived from an old Irish ballad I couldn't get him to do it Uh, It turns out that it actually was derived from an old Irish ballad, but I couldn't prove it at the time. And it upsets me to this day that I didn't have the internet back in 1987. Mm. Um... I I also faintly recall covering a shift for some sort of big band show. I don't know what it was called. Remember When, Remember This or something like that. And playing some Benny Goodman and Artie Shaw records. And those are records I normally wouldn't have played during college. So I'm assuming it was done at the station. So I did that too.
0: Okay. Did you have any titles or positions at the station?
1: Uh, no, I had no official titles, no authority. Uh, I served under three terrific sports directors in Stu Rushfield, Steve Goldman, and Stephen Oling. And let's just say I was the assistant to the assistant to the assistant sports director. Uh, they let me answer the phone when it rang at the sports desk. That was about it. Fair
0: enough. Um, Did you use your own name on air? Did you have any nicknames?
1: Yeah, I was just Marsh. Um, Granted, Marshall Housefeld is not a great radio handle. It doesn't really flow off the tongue. Um, I always did say that once I got my first professional job, I'd have gone with Jay Marshall as as an on-air name because Jason is my middle name. But uh, I thought it would be a little pretentious to do that as an 18-year-old. So I was just Marsh.
0: Okay. That's a, that's a pretty good radio name though, coming up with that. Um, So two part question here, answer it whatever way makes sense to you. Uh, But I'm curious, what was it that first brought you to the radio station? And then if you could describe what it was like, maybe some of the people that you met or what kind of uh, uh, impression you got from your first visit to the radio station.
1: Sure. Um, So Stu Rushfield, who was the sports director when I joined the station and Pete Caldera, who was another member of the department back then, we were high school classmates. They were seniors in high school when I was a freshman. And uh, our high school was fortunate to have a TV studio where the students produced a monthly news magazine show that aired on local public access. And they also broadcast a few uh, high school football and basketball games. And Stu and Pete were the two two of the anchors of the news show and they did play-by-play and color for the games. And I was on the production crew my freshman year, and when they graduated, I moved to being on the air, and that's what I thought I was going to do, both in college and professionally: was be on the air, be the next Bob Costas or Marv Albert or Dick Enberg. That was that was the plan. And Stu would come back to the high school and visit the studio and talk to the teacher that ran that ran the studio. And every time he saw me, he would tell me about how great Hofstra was and how wonderful the radio station was, and talked about all the games he was calling, the road trips that he went on. And I'd only known Hofstra as the place where the Jets held training camp. I had no idea they were actually a, a good school and a good school to study broadcasting. Um, so, my senior year of high school, he sees me, he comes back, and he tells me that he is going to be sports director next year, and that if I came to Hofstra, he would guarantee that I'd be on the air calling games as a freshman, and you wouldn't get that opportunity at any other school that I would thinking of applying to. Wow. And he also said that the TV department had cutting-edge studios and top-notch equipment, and that my background with the high school studio would allow me to breeze through those intro courses. So I felt like I was being recruited at uh, the he was really selling it well. The school should have given him a commission check <laughs> or, a find, or a finder's fee because he really sold the school and, uh, and the station really well. And um, actually, my first experience with the sports department at RHU was actually held a few weeks before classes started because Stu had a barbecue at his house and he invited me over to the barbecue and at that barbecue, with stew, P. Caldera, Steve Goldman, Tony Sibilla, Ben Buckwald, and I think Glenn Koch was there. So that was a pretty good introduction even before I stepped on campus as a freshman.
0: Wow, very impressive. Uh, yeah. Murderers were there.
1: Yeah, and um, going into the station for the first time, which was uh, the basement of Memorial Hall, which was a surprise to me because when I took the the tour... At Hofstra, the student who was giving the tour was not a comm major, but when she pointed to the communications building, she said, that's Dempster Hall, it's the TV department, and the radio station is in there. So that's where I thought the radio station was when I got to campus, and it was not, obviously. Um, it was in the basement of Memorial, and uh, in the ba- I can picture going down the steps and making a right, and I'm going to forget names here, uh, so forgive me, but I can see desks. I can see typewriters, I can see Katie Kulig. I can see Jason Levy and Mike D'Antonio and Shelley Griffin, Victor Bilsick, that later became Richard Abali's desk, uh, Eileen DeCallis, Sue Ziz's desk was next to Victor's, and Jeff Krause's was in the far left corner of that office, and the sports desk was directly across to it in the far right corner. Where Mark Rene would hold court, reading Newsday, and Jack Staszynski—that was, that was the main early period of freshman year of the radio station for me. That's
0: a that's a vivid picture. That's that's yeah. a lot of memories and a lot of names. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I, I took my smart drugs today. <laughs>
0: um, now, now, given given that vivid recollection, I I, yeah. I, I want to go back a little bit further in time because you talked about your high school and you talked about the teacher that was sort of, I guess, overseeing uh, the operations there. Where did you go to high school? And, and if you remember, who was that teacher and what well, do you remember about that program?
1: Um, it was Clarkstown South High School in West Nyack, New York, which is in Rockland County. And the teacher was Mr. High Schuster, who I still talk to. Every day, he, as a mentor, non-parallel, um, that TV studio in that high school basically shaped me, it saved my life, because uh, I was going absolutely nowhere in, in high school, and I found this place, and it was just great. I just fell in love with it, and every, all, all aspects of production, and you know, part of a crew, part of a team, and it was just wonderful, a great four years. And uh, the fact that I realized you can actually study this in college too, you can do this professionally too, It was wonderful. So that was, uh, so yeah. So Clarkstown South was the start, and Hofstra and Rhu was was the next in the de, in the development.
0: So it was some combination of the the technology and opportunity and the community that drew you to that program in in high school.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, you know, you see you see a bunch of cameras, you see a chance to uh, to to broadcast a, a new show that goes out, goes out on cable. It was actually, people could see it um, chance to do football and basketball games. I actually, it actually goes even further back. I'm in eighth grade and I'm, we had just gotten cable in the house and I'm flipping mm-hmm. through the, you know, not even flipping through I'm punching. Cause the cable box had a punch type of punch the way you would change the channels. It wasn't with a remote control. And I'm punching through and channel 30, I think, was the public access channel. And I see that they're, that they're showing a, a basketball game, but it did not look like a college basketball game. It didn't certainly didn't look like an NBA game. It turned out it was the high school basketball game and it was Stu and Pete doing a game. And they were saying, you know, this, this program produced by the students of Clarkstown South High School. And I'm like, I'm going to Clarkstown South High School. I'm, I'm going to do that. Oh my goodness! They broadcast basketball and football games on TV, and students get to announce them. I'm in. Where do I sign? So that's where that that's where that
0: started. Oh, that's very cool. And and I think I can picture the the, the cable box uh, with the with the long brown wire to It's sort yeah. of like an oval shape and a long right. rectangular it had,
1: shape. It, it had it had three rows, and yep. you had to. And if you punched a couple of channels at the same time, you might have gotten. Some softcore porn? Yeah, might, might have. I'm, I, I'm not going to confirm that, but it's possible.
0: I've, I've never heard of such a thing. That's that's yeah. complete news to me. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. <laughs> this took a turn. Let's go yeah. back
1: to Hofstra. Sure. Um,
0: so so Stu uh, Rushfield is uh, is a big influence. I mean, obviously the program meant a lot to him at the high school that he kept coming back and, and essentially recruited you. Um, when you got to Hofstra, did you take – um, uh, engineering classes, announcing classes? What was the path to putting you on the air?
1: Um, I didn't take the any actual classes for course credit. I took the uh, the informal classes. I think Shelley Griffin would have taught me the announcing class and cleared me and Victor trained me on the board. And I think Rich Radabali was the one who gave me the combo clearance, mm-hmm. which is the R.H.U. equivalent of walking and chewing gum at the same time. Um, So I remember getting my FCC license, I remember that, it looked looked like a library card, I was very proud of it. Um, For some reason they made you keep it in a file cabinet that was located in the main announcers booth. I never understood why you couldn't keep it on you, with you, in a wallet or something. Hmm. Um, But it seemed odd that if the FCC wanted to see your credentials, you had to dig it out of a binder that was publicly accessible to a lot of people. And uh when I wanted to take it with me after I graduated as a souvenir, I looked for it in the cabinet, and it was not there. so the government fortunately never came and busted me because I had no proof that I was fit to operate the board
0: interesting interesting yeah. 'cause i'm I'm just a little a little bit behind you in in terms there i I have my f c c license ah, lucky but, that, but that does sound familiar that uh, I know going back to the little theater that that um a lot of licenses were put into frames and kept on the wall. Um, but that, that was, that was a different, I think, class of license, but it does sound familiar. Now that you say that, I feel like there was some sort of. Binder, yeah, it, was a, it, but... it was a,
1: it was a file cabinet and a, and a binder that was inside. It looked almost like a photo album, like one of those photo albums with the stickies, mm. with the sticky pages. And I remember putting one mine in there as a freshman. I remember looking for it a couple of times between I graduated between the time I started and the time I graduated and it was there. But when I looked for it the last time my senior year, it was not there. So Hmm. I have no no proof that I was actually qualified to, uh, to work the equipment.
0: Okay. Was there anything interesting or memorable that you picked up in those, those informal training classes that served you well? And, and I guess as a, an adjacent question to that, what did you learn uh, or how did you learn, about working in the the sports department, given that you had some experience, was there anything that you picked up uh, from the guys who were already there?
1: Um, well, Stu and Tony and Mark and all the guys that were there before me, they were they were very helpful and very patient, and um, helping me get get started. And Pete also, um, the classes themselves, it was more just grip and read. Rip and read off the AP wire, and uh, the engineering class was more of uh, you know here's how you queue up a record and play this, and here's how you check your levels. Um, engineering for the games was a totally different category, and in that I was also that was also Stu would show you how to how to set up for the how to set up the equipment for a home game. There's a direct line in the press box um, at the PFC, and for road games it was another. Even more complex setup that, you know, very cumbersome, heavy equipment. That uh, being the freshman at times, I had to schlep. So that was uh, that. That was that memory too.
0: So the in in those days, and and I imagine today too, that being in the sports department is a slightly different animal than being. Uh, on the air in the studio, because like you said, you have to bring some of that equipment. And in. in those days it was phone lines and things like that. Right. Can you talk a little bit more about the, the, the setup and getting to learn uh, how to do that remote work?
1: Um, well, yeah, it actually it coincides with my first time on the air, because my first time on the air was technically a, a rehearsal. Because um, the week before the very first football game my freshman year the team held a a scrimmage that was open to the public at the stadium. And Stu had all the new members of the department and a few others up in the press box to learn how to set up for those home games. And he had us call a few series with a partner into a tape recorder to give us some practice and to get some audio to use for the pre-produced open that he would do at the start of uh, every season. So that was where, where that came from. And he would do uh you know as we were doing the doing the scrimmage he would be counting down in our doing a fake countdown he was doing fake scoreboard updates he was giving his cues it was really it was really a good dry run well
0: wow, that's that's pretty impressive that's uh it sounds like he thought of a lot of things beforehand uh in order to prep uh you and the other new announcers uh
1: he did um and i think you know to a to a person i think if you if you polled people they would say i think the sports department at least back then um had a little you know i think their the quality of the of the broadcasts and the production were a, a slight step up from the rest of the station that i don't think that's bragging i just think that's just the way it was um cuz i just think more experience was in there you had ex- when you're a rookie announcer doing a, a newscast or Working for one of the uh, the weekend shows, it might be the first time you're behind a mic, and for the sports department, you're you're constantly you're constantly doing it. You were doing it every week. You had three you had basketball season. You had three games a week, so you had a lot more time to get good.
0: Hmm. So you had some experience doing sports broadcasting and calling games and and, and behind the scenes work. How did you feel getting on the air the first time? Uh, at Hofstra Radio, were you nervous? Were you? Did you have high expectations? What were you thinking and feeling?
1: Yeah, I was. I was nervous, and it goes back to that um, that scrimmage. Um, I had only this was probably before I even took the announced those announcing classes because this was early in the early September. So this was maybe the Friday after Labor Day because okay. it was the week before the season started. So I don't even know if I had taken those other classes yet Um, but again this was practice it wasn't actually on the air we were recording into a tape recorder Um, but i was i was pretty nervous when we started and uh to say that it was an interesting experience is uh putting it mildly because i i learned a lot in just that one series that i got to call um some background i'll get a little sports nerdy here um The team had yet to announce their starting quarterback going into the season, and the feeling that Stu was telling us all that, how the how the quarterbacks performed in the scrimmage was going to be part of how the coaches evaluate who was eventually going to start. Okay. So the two quarterbacks that were vying for the job, one wore number nine, and his name was Joe Donadio, and he was the backup the year before. And the other quarterback wore number 11, and he was Ken Bonkowski, and he came in as a transfer student. And I'm saying that not to brag about my knowledge of obscure Division Three football players, but to say those were the guys I was told to, to, to follow. Those are the guys to keep my eye, my eye on. So the scrimmage starts. I don't remember who called the first series of plays, um, but as I said, Stu ran it like a like it was a real game with the, with cues and a fake scoreboard update. And he treated it like a like a scrimmage for us too. So when it was my turn, I'm teamed with Tony Tony Sibilla. And Stu cues me and I start off, I thought pretty good, you know, back here at Hofstra stadium, Joe Donatio, number nine in a quarterback for the series. I had his stats from last year. All's good. They run a play. Tony says something. Now I said, I had done games before, but I'd never been in a press box this high. Hmm. So I'm trying to get my bearings. Where's the scoreboard? Where's the play clock? Where's the first down marker? Um, I'm just, just trying to see where, who's where and what's what. I don't know these players yet. I've never seen a college football game live in person. I certainly don't know the team and how they how they run plays, but I'm just doing the best I can. They break the huddle, and I go, oh, Tony, it looks like they're swapping quarterbacks in the middle of this series. It's number eight now in the quarterback. I'm looking at the roster. Uh, Chris Keevans. Chris Kevins in the game. He's a sophomore from Mayapak, New York, he didn't see any game action last year, but here he is trying to impress the coaches just one week before the opener against Iona. I'm really good at this, it seems. Mm-hmm. They, run a, they run a play. This kid, comp- Keevans, completes a pass. They run another play. Keevans completes a pass. The next play, Kevin's he scrambles for a first down. The kid is John Elway, he's Joe Montana, he's Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, he's Tom Brady, all into one. And I'm going on about how Chris Keevans is staking his claim for the starting job at Hofstra, how incredible he is. And now they're inside the 10-yard line. And now I see, oh, number nine's back in a quarterback. Oh, Tony, the coaches are going back to Donatio here on the goal line. Um, they must have a special package drawn up. They want to practice. And Donatio throws a touchdown to end the drive. And I finish by saying... Uh, the, touch, the, the drive ends with a touchdown pass from Joe Donatio, but it was Chris Kevens who really impressed. And the coaches will have a lot to evaluate when they study the game tape. So I'm done. I thought I did okay. It's over. Stu's giving everybody his notes, his, his critiques. He gets to me. He says, Marsh, your energy was good. Your calls were descriptive. You had a real nice chemistry with Tony. You had a couple of back and forths. It sounded like you'd been working together for a while. It was great. But just two words before we put you on the air for real. Lens crafters.
0: Because
1: <laughs> I don't know who Chris Kevins is. I don't know if he goes to school here. Never heard of him. I just know he wasn't on the field when you were calling those plays. <laughs> it was it was number nine the whole time. I just couldn't see it. I just misread the number. And I was no. absolutely devastated. And it took me one day in radio to learn that I needed glasses. So basically, it was an unintentional John Sterling impression. Um, oh, <laughs> And, and, and had, had I known that was something you could actually do, misread numbers, misidentify players, not be able to tell who the starting quarterback is, it could have been me who was the radio voice for the New York Yankees for 30 years. So that, was, so that was my first time. And fortunately, it didn't count. But it was it was a, a pretty devastating blow for someone who came in thinking that he could be decent at this.
0: That but Ed, I, I suppose there's there's a lot of credit to be given to Tony and 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 Stu for not interrupting your flow and saying you're calling the wrong guy and just that's, let you go with it was, and get some
1: practice that was exactly what tony said i asked tony that exact thing it's like, why didn't you say something he's like i didn't want to ruin your flow you're on a roll <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's like he's that's exactly what he said he used that that exact term i didn't want to ruin your flow you're rolling the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor. so was, was rolling. It yes. was, it was, but, uh, but yeah, so that was, so that was one. I got slightly better from then on. I recognize. I was able to identify the, uh, the quarterback and who was, who was on the field. So yay for glasses. So who was Chris Keating? Chris, there, there was a quarterback named Chris Kevens. He wore oh, number Kevens. eight. He wore number eight. He was, uh, on the roster he, I had a, a paper roster um, but he never played for them last the year before and he never he never played I don't think in any of the years that i was i was there he never made the field but he made the sheet that held the roster and had it had there not been a number eight on the roster at all, I would have probably said I, I probably would have said that it was number nine still at quarterback. But in my head, I saw eight. I looked down and there was an eight on the roster. He played quarterback. That was the guy. And it wasn't until the last you know, last couple of plays of the drive, I looked up and, oh, yeah, that's number nine now. It's number nine. I was seeing it better, probably because they moved from one end of the field to the other end of the field. And I was able to see better out of my right eye than my left. <laughs> so that's how I was able to identify him as uh, as Joe audio.
0: Oh, that's funny. Well, you had good presence to to you know shift on the fly and find that other number even if it wasn't really there. And the follow up question is, did you in fact get glasses after that?
1: Yes, that that uh, as I said, that was on a Friday night. Um, the scrimmage ended. I got that i got the 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 little talking dad it wasn't even a talking dad it was just funny he just it was just a big it was a big everyone got a nice laugh out of it but i was inside just devastated but i remember going back to my dorm room and this would have been friday night not too late it was probably you know 10 o'clock but i called my i called my folks saying uh you know i only lived i only lived a little over an hour away i said make an appointment at the eye doctor Whatever, whatever eye doctors on Orange, whatever health coverage. Yeah, whatever eye doctor you can get, get me that because I need I need glasses. So I probably shouldn't be driving a car, um, but um, yeah, I needed them and I got them, and by the next week I had them.
0: Oh my goodness, that's. That is quite a tale. Yeah. That, is, that is that is very impressive. Now, you mentioned that you did some other shows here and there uh, throughout here, because doing sports, again, is a different animal. It's a different set of muscles. It's a different thing than doing a jazz show or doing a classic shift. Do you remember any of your non-sports
1: early shifts? Yeah, I don't think I announced on anything other than sports. I would engineer those other shows. I definitely said I engineered Tony Jackson. Uh, I may have done a polka with Basha, and uh, an Italian show, and I remember that that uh, Artie Shaw remember when show or something like that. Um, but I don't think I was actually on the air any other in any other capacity other than the sports department. Anything else in the department? I was doing. I was engineering.
0: Okay, um, you, you've mentioned a lot of names, and it's very impressive. Yeah, um, I, I,
1: I, it was. I was going through, let me write some of these down. And then I had some, a couple of other things. And it was like some come, some come back and some I still talk to. So it wasn't that hard. I, I, I do have a, a nice social media relationship with a few people. So it was easy to remember those.
0: Okay. Well, well, my, my question, and thank you for, for doing the homework. That's always appreciated. Yeah. But but who are some other folks who are around? I mean, you mentioned Sue Zizza. Uh, you mentioned Jeff Krause being at his desk. Did you have sure. any interaction with them as you were getting started?
1: Uh, well, with Jeff, yeah, um, he was very intimidating, especially to a freshman, uh, had the deep baritone voice and he had the, you know, the presence of authority, he definitely had a an aura of authority about him. Um, but I never took any classes because I was a TV major and they didn't make TV majors take radio classes. It had to be an elective. And a lot of my in department electives were tied into other things that I wanted to do. I needed to take an editing class and an ENG class and a special effects class. And I was running out of, running out of ways to, I couldn't take two track and mm-hmm. I couldn't take four track. I couldn't take announcing. It would have helped me, but I didn't, I didn't take them just because the university limited the number of electives within the department you can take. Um, as far as Jeff gave me, Two, two times, Jeff gave me some real interesting feedback. And um, one was sophomore year. Um, I'd done a game with Stu because um, Stu stayed an extra semester. He stayed my whole freshman year and then the first semester of sophomore year. And he was usually unflappable on the air. But um, during this particular game, I, I made a joke on the air. during the the game and he cracked and he cracked and he cracked Mm. for quite a long time. It was like a good, a good two minutes that he he couldn't quite contain himself. And um, that was on a Saturday. And then later that week I'm at the station doing what I normally would do after, you know, around lunchtime, bits and bites, come down with my tray, eat lunch. And for whatever reason, the studio, the office wasn't all that full so it was me, it was me, it was Jeff and maybe three or four other people in the office. And he he looks at me and um, he said, you know, normally I don't like it when the announcers kind of crack jokes. But um, that joke was happened to be pretty good. That was that was a good one. And, nice. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's also the only time that a sports guy used the word unequivocally on the air correctly. So I'll give you credit for that. So that so that was so that was very good. I, I took I took pride in that, and then I would say my senior year, Jeff said, and this was after I kind of realized that being on the air wasn't going to be my main future. I decided that much earlier on, but I still did games at the station. But my senior year, when when I did games, it was always color. It was always I was always doing color. I always wanted to try to make. Whoever was doing play-by-play, the star, because they were the ones that wanted to do it for a living. So I tried to make them better. Hmm. And so he would actually—he actually said to me, "You know, Marsh, um, you're very good at shutting up. You know, that's a rare skill. You know." <laughs> so, and I think—and I think he meant it as a compliment that I don't talk over my play-by-play guy. I think that—that's how I took it. <laughs> so that's how I. You know, I think it's how he meant it that you know that, that sometimes silence is golden. So I, I tried not to talk over the play-by-play guy uh, when I was doing games. So he he, he he specifically mentioned that. So those were my two Jeff Krause stories.
0: That that sounds like a like a good Jeff Krause critique, and it reminds yeah. me of was it was it Major League and Bob Euchre, his color commentator, never said anything.
1: Right. That's why he's the best of the business. That's right.
0: Right. Right. Uh, well, well done. Well done. Now, was yeah. that a conscious decision? Like, you, it, it seemed like it was your decision to be like, I'm going to push the play by play man ahead. Or did someone sort of plant that in your head? Because that's, uh, that's, that's a pretty mature decision to make as a student broadcaster.
1: Well, again, it, it actually, it's how I kind of divided my RHU experience. I have like two different eras. It was my very first three semesters when I thought I wanted to be on the air professionally. But really, starting the second semester of sophomore year, I found I was doing a lot more stuff on the TV side. I was a a grant. They made me a grant, which is like being a teaching assistant for the professors. Mm. So it was like taking an extra six to nine credit hours. And I had an internship at ABC that I did on Sundays, and it paid me 15 bucks an hour, which which was really good money back then. And... Steve Goldman, by that time, he was the sports director, and I remember him asking me, this was during basketball season, if I could do play-by-play for a, a midweek basketball game. It was a road game. It was either Bucknell or maybe Towson. I don't remember which, but either, either one. It was a four-hour trip each way, and I said, no, I couldn't do it. I said, there was just no way. I had 7 a.m. crew calls and late afternoon tapings that didn't let out till 5, and it kind of dawned on me that 17 year old me would never say no to doing a game Mm. 18 18 year old me wouldn't say no to doing a game i'd have blown something off i'd have changed my schedule get someone to cover for me how could you not do a game it's that's what i want to do so it just kind of dawned on me that by that time a bunch of new people had joined the department stephen olin was in the department jay brayman had joined the department um charlie cusimano uh Few others that I can't remember right now, but I'm thinking at best, at best, I'm the third or fourth best guy doing games, and that's being generous. And the only way that I was going to get better was to do more, and I'm now turning down games. So that's probably not my path. You know, I'm able to, you know, at some point, I, yeah, that's not, it's probably not going to happen unless I give this other stuff up and I didn't want to give and I didn't want to give it up. So, I looked at it those times when I was on the air instead of me trying to become the next Marv Albert, I just want to have fun and I'm going to have fun with whoever I'm doing the game with and try to let them shine, be the best play-by-play person they could be. And I think doing that made me made me better. It certainly made me put me more at ease and made me less stressed on the air cuz I was always tr- I was trying to get at every fact, every note and it was was just not working for me. So I think doing it, once I realized less is more, and once I realized, no, I'm not going to be on the air professionally, I think I got better at it.
0: Wow. That's very impressive. That's very cool. Um, So it it seems like you got pretty comfortable at the station right away. I mean, you have this in, you know, Stu who's running things and at the same time, you're doing stuff at the TV station. Do you mind talking about getting comfortable there and, and, and finding your way at the TV, uh, in the TV department as well as the radio station? How, what, was, what was the difference or what okay. were similarities?
1: Um, I got into the TV station. It was actually pretty interesting. Uh, I told you about the tour that I took, and they said the radio station was in the TV department. Right. But uh, So I went into the building. I was taking the tour with my dad. And I'm kind of just looking around, looking, seeing. It wasn't I wasn't part of any official tour group, and I'm um, just looking around. and You see, Studio Control Room B was open, and it's beautiful. It's like, wow, look at that. And Studio A, they were doing something. And a professor, it turns out, it was Nancy Kaplan, sees me, sees my dad, and says, "Are you? Do you guys want to want to sit in on a class? Are you looking to meet, to possibly come here? Do you want to do you want to sit in on a class?" And I'm like, "Sure." Wow. And it was a combo. It was it turned out it was, it was a Com Eleven class, and it was in the smaller studios in Studio C, and they were doing their projects. And they, I was in, I was in the back. so just be quiet, and they did their little project, and then they play. And after it was done, they they played they played it, and Nancy Kaplan points at me and asks me what I thought. Wow. Okay. Ask Nancy puts me up, and fortunately. I knew a little bit about TV. Uh, I said, well, the camera needed it said, it needed more headroom. I said, camera two needed more headroom. They needed to tilt uh, to tilt up. And um, probably should have made, made a little more room on the right, too. Needed to pan left. And she looked at me and looked at my father and said, she will do well here. And that was that. So that was, that was how I, I knew I was going to do well in the TV department. And... My freshman freshman year, I was taking a, a night class and it let out and they were I heard a bunch of people running around the top floor of dempster and they were asking, does anyone know how to use edit three? And I go, What's edit three? And I go into edit three and I knew how to use edit three. <laughs> they oh. were cutting something. they they were cut it was the same exact system I had in high school. Um <laughs> they were doing something for news and views. They needed someone to just to cut this cut cut a little VO and cut a couple of sots and do this for news and views. At that time I didn't know what news and views was. I hadn't taken COM eleven yet. I had only been I'd only taken com one. But I do this thing and I knew exactly what I, I asked about certain specs because every place is different. I cut the VOs, I cut the sots, everything you know, they said thank you very much. Um, what's your name? I told them my name. I said okay. And the next day I happen to be in Dempster again for a class and they're taping news and views. They're doing the taping. And I see my VO and I see my, and I see my, my SOT, and I hear, I didn't know who Jeff, I, I knew it was Jeff Schatzel. I knew it was Jeff. I go, who cut this? And I'm like, Oh shit, what did I do? And uh, <laughs> he's like, like, finally, you got someone that knows what they're doing. I'm like, yes, <laughs> like, finally. And they, so finally, and someone said, who did this? And they go, some, some and some, fr- some freshman, Marshall something. I'm like, what do you mean freshmen? Freshmen aren't allowed to edit. <laughs> so, so basically, so I introduced myself then in the department. So that was my start there. And I got, I moved up pretty quickly from, from there. Yeah.
0: That's very impressive. You had quite a quite an early run there uh, at at Hofstra, both in the radio and TV department. So that, that kind of brings me back to the the, the question that. Uh, I, I tend to wrap up with, but, but we'll see where it takes us. Yeah. You, you've already expressed that sort of, you, you had this idea that you were going to go into professional sports broadcasting. That was your yes. expectation going yes. it in. So, so usually the question is what, what did you think WRHU would mean to you in those early days? So I guess my, my, my framing here is as a freshman coming in as a, as someone with high school experience, what did you hope? And then what did WRHU turn out to mean to you?
1: Right. I thought it was going to be the beginning of this wonderful, long, lengthy career that I could look back on and say, yep, it started in high school. I honed my skills at, at WRHU, and then I went on to broadcast many, many Super Bowls and World Series for all these major networks and ending up in the Ford Frick ring, ring of all of yeah. fame and, um, and, and stuff like that. And it turns out that wasn't the case. It turns out it was just a, a great place to meet people, a great place to to meet some friends, and to spend some time for four years in the late eighties.
0: Well, it, it obviously meant a lot to you because we're still talking about these stories, and you still have these relationships. So that's 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 very impressive. And I think you might if I'll, I'll have to go back and, and keep track, but you might have the record for the for the number of names referenced. You you recall a lot of people and a lot of. Particular stories. It's very impressive.
1: Well, I, I'd be remiss. There's there's one other person I, w- I want to mention, and that's Dave Mock. Sure. And and um, this was more. This was more my senior year when I was doing a lot more TV than than radio, and I guess Dave and Andrew Schmertz were doing election night coverage, mm-hmm. and. I didn't. I'm not from Long Island. I don't know much about Nassau County politics, town of Hempstead politics, but I listened to that to that broadcast, and it was it was great. It was really good local news radio. They had reporters embedded, it seemed, and you were getting results of town council and all these great races. And then I would go to my thing at HTV, doing editing news for news interviews, where there was. Very little news, and I remember I was working with some some broadcast journalism major who, you know, said, "Yeah, you know, I really don't, uh, I really don't like, you know, the, the stuff they do on, on Rhu." I'm like, "You're a broadcast journalism major. You're at a, you're at a TV station that does not broadcast anything. If you want to broadcast something, you have to be at the radio station." They just did an entire election night coverage that was off the charts good. You're here with me cutting this minute and a half, two-minute news package with no b-roll, by the way, and uh a track that sounds like it was it was done in a in a phone booth, and no one's gonna see it. The only people that can see HTV are you, me, Mr. Wren, and the six people in Studio B. That's it. No one else is seeing it. Say what you want about R.H.U., but their audience may not be on campus, but they have an audience. They have an audience. And uh, so I want to give, give props to Dave Mock because I was able to tell a broadcast journalism major what what broadcast journalism should should look and sound like.
0: Amen. I, I love me a Dave Mock story. Yes. And, and uh, he continued doing great work. Uh, during my time there, he anchored a, at least two years, probably three years with Joe Romano. And again, did really just exceptionally great coverage. And 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 commercial radio stations were listening in and starting to take actualities and take information from from Dave and the news crew. So this I'm really glad that you mentioned him. So that, that incident that you're, you're talking about, were you listening on the radio or were you part of the broadcast team putting on election night coverage?
1: No, I was I was just listening because I, uh, I I knew you know there was so much activity at, at the station, but I was I listened in the, in the in my dorm. I was in towery.
0: Wow, well, well, this is this has been a really fun ride, and these are Thank these you. are some great stories. Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing them. And as, as we talked before the interview, uh, you've got a lot of stories, and you've got two eras. So so let's meet up again sometime, and I'll ask some more questions, and and I look forward to hearing your stories.
1: I'd love to. There's some, there's some story, stories of road trips gone awry, luggage lost mid-flight, and uh, a team bus that we thought had gone up in flames, but fortunately did not. That's called a tease in the business, my friend.
0: That's that's a tease. That's a cliffhanger. <laughs> Tune in next time when we find out <laughs> about the fate of the school bus. Oh, that's great. Well, well, thank you again so much. And, uh, and I really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you. Have a great one.